Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, can you turn with them to Matthew chapter 14? We're going to be in uh, Matthew 14 this morning. And uh, I just want to be straight with you. This is like my favorite time of year. Uh, Coast Guard Festival is over. So you can drive through Grand Haven again without wanting to die. I really appreciate that. And um, I don't know if you guys feel this, but there's like that snap of cool now in the mornings and uh, in the evenings. Any uh, big sweatshirt fans in the house, right? Hey, this is our time, baby. This is our moment. We've been waiting all summer for this, and uh, it's here. So I am uh, super uh, thankful this morning to be with you, thankful for the time of year it is. And uh, we've been in a series this summer that's been really cool. We've just been kind of looking at interactions that Jesus had in different situations. And um, one of the things that I love about Jesus is he pretends way less than you and I do. In fact, I would argue that one of the things that you and I are best at are pretending that things are okay when they're actually not okay. It's kind of our standard operating procedure. I was uh, on a walk this week with my wife, Mary, and uh, she said something interesting. She was like, Cal, my least favorite word in the English dictionary is the word fine. She's like, I hate when I ask, how are you doing? And someone's like, oh, I'm fine. She's like, that literally could mean anything, right? It could mean I'm good, it could mean I'm okay, it could mean I hate you, it could mean I'm doing awful. Like, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a word that we use to hide. And one of the things that I know is true being a pastor for as long as I have is that we're really good at faking it. And what's heartbreaking about that is we usually don't be honest and ask for help until things have spiraled out of our ability to control it. And I might meet with people or I've met with people where it's like, man, if I just knew that you were in this spot six months ago or a year ago, I just wish you would have come forward and asked for help because like you would have saved yourself and others so much pain. And I love that Jesus was, is honest with us and he shows us that sometimes things aren't always fine. And that actually most of the time is the point. So look at verse 22. We're gonna see uh, Jesus explain this to us so clearly. Verse 22 says this, talking about Jesus, it says, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him onto the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid." And if you're the kind of person who takes notes in their Bibles, I want you to underline that very first phrase we read in verse 22, where it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And here's the first thing we see, church, and this is so important. It's that Jesus sends the people he loves into storms. Like, do you see that right there? The disciples find themselves in a storm because Jesus put them right in that path. And we see, if you look at the heading right above this passage, you see that this is coming right off the back of Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
And the disciples were there. They were listening to Jesus teach. They were helping feed the people and serve Jesus. We have no indication that the disciples' attitudes were bad or that Jesus was upset with them. This wasn't a consequence of a decision the disciples made. They were serving, being faithful, following Jesus. And Jesus sends them right into a storm. Right? Sometimes we find ourselves in storms that are the result of consequences of our sin, right? Last week, my dad preached on Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. She found herself in a difficult spot because of decisions that she had made in her past, in past relationships. Last time I preached to you, we talked about the prodigal son. The prodigal son found himself in a storm because he chose to leave his father's protection. He chose to go out on his own and made foolish decisions. This isn't one of those times. This isn't their fault. They were being faithful. Jesus leads them into a storm. And here's what I know. Storms can come in all shapes and sizes, can't they? There's all sorts of storms in life that we face. Um, One of the things that I've learned again in ministry is that um, pretty much everyone's family is a mess. Did you guys know that? Like storms in family happen all the time and family is messy. Do me a favor. If you're sitting with someone who's a family member, can you turn to them and just say, why do you have to be so difficult? (laughs) Some of you are like, I've been waiting to say that all week. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, It's true, right? Marriages break. Kids are rebellious. There's tension between siblings. There's just messy. There's storms in family. There's financial storms. When I started pastoring as a youth pastor in 2008, my wife and I moved to Orlando, and it was an interesting year to begin ministry because we were starting right as the housing market collapsed, and we were in Orlando, which was the hardest hit city in the country um, from this housing market collapse. And there were men in our church in their 50s and 60s who had built big businesses and, and great wealth that were losing everything in a matter of weeks, not because they were dishonest or made bad decisions, but things outside of their control wiped out their careers. Uh, health can be storms, right? We're always one doctor's visit away from our lives changing dramatically. And please don't hear me. I'm not saying go, don't go to the doctor. It's not their fault, but it's the reality. Grief can be a storm. You lose someone you love and it's just heartbreaking and it's sad and you feel like there is a cloud that is hanging over you and you're like, I don't know how to get out from under this storm. My heart is just broken. Illness can be a storm. Other people's sin. Right? Sometimes we are placed in a storm because other people have hurt us and they've lied to us or they've lied about us or you've been in an abusive relationship maybe and it's not your fault but other people have sinned against you. There is relational storms where friendships break down and there's hurt around that. Maybe your reputation has come under fire and there's gossip and people are lying about you and you've lost friends and you feel like you don't know who you can trust anymore. The storms in life are real. They come in many shapes and sizes and often they're unexpected and they come out of nowhere. Right, I've been honest about this. I've preached about this but early on in our marriage, uh, Mary and I went through the storm. We had a couple of miscarriages. And the interesting thing about miscarriages is you like go from this high of like, we're pregnant, this is amazing, we're rejoicing to like on your back in like one phone call, in one moment. So it's not just the storm, but it's how quick the storm can hit. 
And, and here's our problem in, in how we navigate storms is that in America, we're obsessed with this idea of growth. We, we think we should always be on this path of success and growth, and our lives should always look like the arrow on the graph that's moving up and to the right. So when storms hit, it's like, this is not how it's supposed to be. This isn't part of my life. This is a distraction or this is an inconvenience. I've just got to get out of this storm, grind through it, but, but I, I'm not supposed to be on this path. I'm supposed to be moving this way. Well, the interesting thing is, is while we're obsessed with our growth and vision of what our life should look like, Jesus is obsessed with our maturity. And because he loves us, he will send us into storms because there's certain things that he can only do in our heart in a storm. So look back at the passage again. I want to look at three realities we see when we are in a storm, three true things about storms. Here's the first. Storms are exhausting. When you're in a season of life that's stormy, it's tiring. Look at verse 23. It says this. It says, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. All right, so remember, the, day, the disciples, they've spent the entire day out in the sun, doing ministry, helping Jesus, navigating crowds, feeding people, listening to Jesus. They had put in a full day of work. He then sends them out into the sea, and it says that Jesus didn't come to them till the fourth watch of the night. Here's all you need to know about that. It was the middle of the night, pitch black. They've been rowing and rowing and rowing, fighting a storm, fighting wind, fighting waves. They are exhausted by the time Jesus shows up, and that's okay. Now look at me. Do you know you have permission to say, hey, I'm in a storm and I'm beat up and I'm really, really exhausted? And I think the thing that's most exhausting about storms is we don't know when they're going to end. I remember when I was in high school and I was playing soccer, um, I was cool with running and doing conditioning and, and getting into shape. Like it, I, I just needed one thing. I just needed to know how much I had to run. So if my coach was like, hey, Cal, you, we're going to do 100 push-ups and then you're going to run four times around the field. I was like, great, let's go. I can do it. I just needed to know where the end date was. If the coach was like, hey, Cal, we're going to run. And I was like, how long? And the coach just said, until I say stop, I was miserable. Because I'm like, this is never going to end. I'm going to die here on this field. Like, I hated not knowing when it was going to end. I would even do less running, but it would feel worse if I didn't know when the finish line was. I needed that light at the end of the tunnel. But life storms don't work like that, do they? Uh, one of my mentors in ministry, especially early on, he's a pastor in Hudsonville. His name is Josh Tovey. And uh, he was the youth pastor at the church that I was at when I was in college. And I remember I um, was interning with him for a summer when he found out that his wife had cancer. And uh, so the whole summer they were over on the east side of the state at U of M. She was getting treatments. And um, to make a really, really, really long story short, between the cancer, the treatments, the cancer coming back, the more treatments, the cancer coming back, the surgeries because of what the treatments had done to Stephanie's body, like it was a 10-year battle with cancer. And their testimony was amazing. They trusted the Lord. God has graciously spared her life and she is serving with him in ministry. It's such a cool story of God's favor and faithfulness. But here's the thing, in that process, there'd be times where I'd reach out to Josh and we'd be together like, hey, Josh, how are you doing? And he'd just like get teary and be like, Cal, I'm just exhausted. I've been in this storm for seven years and I don't know when it's going to end. 
right? It's okay to say, man, I am wiped out, and, and that's often where Jesus meets us. Here's the second thing we see about storms is that they're disorienting. Look at verse 26. It says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. Right, this is a really interesting part of the story for me because I'm tempted right now to get really, really hard on the disciples. Right, they have been with Jesus. They've seen him do miracles like that day. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They, they, they've seen him feed the 5,000. Now they're in the sea and they see this person walking out to them and their first thought isn't, oh, Jesus can do miracles. Thank goodness it's him. They freak out and it's like, oh man, it's a ghost. And I want to be like, hey, morons, obviously it's Jesus. <laughs> like you can, like, it's so clear that it's going to be him. You know he can do this stuff. So here's the question. Why, what is so obvious to you and me, why did the disciples miss it? Because we're not in that storm, but they were. And the natures of storms is they're disorientating. They're disorienting. It's like, I don't know which way is up. It's really, really easy to forget what we know to be true in the middle of storms. We forget that God is sovereign. We forget that God is good. We forget that God loves us. We forget that God is working all things together for our good. We're just like, I'm hurting and I don't know where God is and he feels far away and I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Like we know certain things to be true, but in the storm, it's easy to forget. I had a pastor once tell me, he said, Cal, one of the best advice in life I can give you is don't doubt in the darkness what God has made clear to you in the light. And the very nature of storms is they're dark and they disorient us. Here's the third thing we see is that storms are scary. It says, when they saw him walking out on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I love this. It says they were terrified and they cried out like they are freaking out. It's a bunch of grown men on a boat screaming, right? That'll just make you chuckle thinking about it. But it's like, we're not going to make it. We're going to die. We're seeing a ghost. Like, like, what is happening? There's not a lot of room to hide. And, and do you see how Jesus responds to them? He says, take heart. He doesn't scold them. He's not angry with them. He's like, no, you don't have to be afraid. I am here. He meets us in this place of fear. Look at verse 28 says this and says, and Peter answered him saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked out of the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? All right, so now we have this really famous moment with Peter where Peter's like, he gets out of the boat and he's like, Jesus, if that's you, help me walk on the water. And he steps out and he's doing good for a moment, but then he's overwhelmed by the wind and the waves and the sea and he starts to sink and Jesus has to bail him out. And I just wanna be honest with you. I think we as Christians are way too hard on Peter in this passage. Like this tends to be the narrative of this story is like, look, Peter lacked faith, so he started to sink and Jesus had to save him. Well, I don't think that's a fair representation of what's going on. In fact, I think Peter's faith is pretty amazing in this passage. Like think about it. He's the one that was willing to get out of the boat. The other disciples are there screaming like little girls, freaking out. 
And he didn't even know it was for sure that it was Jesus. He's like, if that is you, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you. Let me walk to you. And here's what I want you to see. It's that the moment of great faith isn't always the moment of great relief. The moment of great faith isn't always the moment of great relief. Right? I mean, think about Peter out on the sea. Like, I don't even think it's crazy that that he started to get scared and, and freak out when he saw the wind and the waves. Like, think about it. Church, look at me. If anyone could be sympathetic to Peter in this moment, it should be us. We live on a massive body of water called Lake Michigan. And we know that when the storms roll in, it is scary and it's not a safe place to be, is it? Right? Every year, it seems like. We have to go through tragedies of people lost in the water because the wind and the waves were too strong for them and they're dragged under. Like Peter's out there in a massive body of water and the wind's not stopping. The waves are still rising and he gets scared. Like I think that's super reasonable. So here's my question. Why didn't Jesus calm the storm the minute Peter stepped foot out onto the water? He could have, right? Like that could have been like a perfect Hollywood ending. Like the second Peter shows that great moment of faith, the storm stops and he could have like ran to Jesus on the water. They could have hugged, they could have skipped. Like it could have been like this really sweet, cool moment, but Jesus doesn't work like that. He keeps the the storm raging even after the moment of faith. Because the moment of great faith isn't always the moment of great relief, church. And we have to believe this and understand this because I'm worried that we think that this is how God should work. That man, if our marriage is struggling and we're in trouble and we're desperate, it's like, all right, we're finally gonna give this to the Lord and we're gonna sign up for soul care. We're gonna do the hard thing and God's just gonna fix everything now, instantly. Well, that's, that's not usually how Jesus works. Can he do that? Has he done that? Absolutely. But a lot of times it's like, man, I've got this addiction in my life or, or secret sin and I need to confess it and bring it to the Lord and I'm gonna tell my small group and, and then all of a sudden that temptation's gonna go away. We, we, we think that like as soon as we take this step of faith that God's gonna make our lives easy, right? Last week we got to celebrate some baptisms with some high school students who made some pretty big decisions up at Camp Harvest a couple weeks ago and, and we warned those kids getting baptized. Like, listen, when you publicly and boldly profess your faith in Christ, um, you're taking ground for the gospel and spiritual warfare is real and, and that means things might get difficult for you in the coming weeks and months because there is an enemy out there and he's not happy about what's going on in your life. Sometimes things actually get harder after the great moment of faith. Why? Why didn't Jesus just make it easy for Peter? Why didn't he just let him out of the storm at the moment of faith? Here's why. Here's the third thing we see, and I think this is so amazing. It's that Jesus is wildly intentional with our hearts in the storm. Jesus is so wildly intentional with our hearts. And um, the Bible says that God's word is living and active. And what that means is every time we go to these stories, to these passages, the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts and we can see things we've never seen before. He he will teach us things. He will encourage us in ways that the last time we were in this passage, maybe we didn't need encouragement in. And when I was studying this passage this week, the thing that God's word did in my heart that just jumped out at me was how wildly intentional Jesus is in this story with the people he loves. 
right? Think about it. Remember, it says that Jesus had spent all day feeding the 5,000. Well, that was 5,000 men, and they had their wives and kids with them. So, so it was probably more like somewhere between 15 to 20,000 people, right? And, and he was teaching to them all day, so it became dinner time, and then he had to feed them. And, and here's what I want you to understand. For me this weekend... I, I preach the Saturday night service, and then most uh, weekends we have small group right after our Saturday night service, so that's kind of a ministry night for us. And then I come and I preach here at the 9, and I got to be done on time because I got to drive over to the 10, and then I got to do the same here because I come back to the 11. And, and, and so here's what I know. When I'm on to preach on a weekend, if it's 45-minute messages four times, that's three hours of preaching. Um, by the time Sunday afternoon rolls around, I am exhausted. Like, I'm wiped out. Um, all right, who, who's with me? Who can relate to me? Um, have you ever had to call someone, but while you're dialing the phone, you're like, I really don't want to talk to this person, and I'm just praying it goes straight to voicemail? Who's been there? Right? Like, like we've all been there. Listen, I'm going to help you. If you ever feel that way towards me, call me at 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon, because I'm going to be zonked out somewhere. I'm not answering that phone. I promise you. Like, I am wiped out. And I think about Jesus, he spent all day preaching with no microphone or no audio support to 15 to 20,000 people all day. And then he's got to perform miracles to feed them. Like if I'm Jesus and it's nighttime and I finally dismiss the crowds, I'm like, I've done enough. I've had a good day. There was a progress gained in the kingdom of God. And Jesus isn't like that. I just love that he's like, I'm done with the 5,000, but I've got to zero in on the heart of my closest friend in the 12. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to cash out. I'm going to send them into a storm so they can see my power and my faithfulness. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to work on their hearts. And then he gets there and Peter's like, hey, can I walk out? And he's like, all right, I'm not even focused on the 12 anymore. I just want to have this moment with Peter. And, and Peter's going to stumble. He's going to get scared. And I'm going to be there to grab him by the hand. And I'm going to look at him. Hey, Peter, you don't have to be afraid. I'm always with you. All right, church, think about this. Do you think Jesus knew the trajectory Peter's life was going to take? Do you think he knew that he was going to lead the Jerusalem church someday? Do you think he knew that he was going to be persecuted and imprisoned and eventually martyred for his faith? Absolutely. So Jesus is taking this moment in the storm to say, hey, Peter, when things are scary and it looks like you're drowning and it seems like you're lost, I am right here and I have your hand and I am not going anywhere. He's using the storm to prepare Peter's heart for future storms because Jesus is wildly intentional with our hearts. Isn't that amazing? Like all of this was because he loved his disciples. The reason the storm didn't immediately subside is because Jesus was intentionally loving and pursuing Peter's heart, accomplishing what only that moment could. Right, this is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 played out in real life where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right, like so often when we're in this storm, our one thing we can think of is how do I get out of it? I just want the pain to end. I just want it to stop. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're here because I've placed you here because I'm going to do a work in your heart that only the storm could produce. And we see this play out. Look how this passage ends in verse 32. He says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased 
And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And in these verses, we see right here the purpose of storms, and that's to build faith and expose glory. And I just love this picture of the disciples in the boat worshiping Jesus. They'd seen him do miracles that day. But when he fed the 5,000, it didn't say that they dropped to his feet and and worshiped him as the son of God. But when Jesus saves them from the storm, their love for him and affection for him is different. And, And they see the full glory and power of Jesus exposed. The second Jesus gets on the boat, the wind just stops. And all they can do is worship him. He's built their faith. He's growing their faith. And they're giving him the glory that he's due. What they believed, they were now sure of because Jesus was faithful in the storm. And the same is true for us. I will have people ask me on occasion, like, Cal, you're a pastor. Like, don't you ever deal with doubt? Like, how can you be sure that Jesus is real? And how can you be sure that he's there and he's true? And, And here's what I tell them. I've seen Jesus show up in too many storms. You can't convince me that he's not real. Our lives are testimonies to Jesus faithfully pursuing our hearts and strengthening us and drawing near to us and helping us as we are drowning. I've seen him work in too many lives. All right, so I want to change gears now. I've tried to explain the purpose of storms and the fact that Jesus sends you to storms because he loves you. But what I want to do now is talk about how do we survive when we find ourselves in a season of difficulty or in a storm. So I want to close with three practical ways to weathering the storm, three keys to weathering the storm. Here's the first. If you're going to weather the storms of life, you need to surround yourself with the right people. You need to surround yourself with the right people. And I want you to think about this. If the nature of storms mean that you're disoriented and you can't tell which way is up and you're forgetting what you know to be true, you need to have people in your life who are going to point you to what is true, who's going to point you to Jesus and God's love for you and point you to the gospel. And church, I'm gonna tell you this because I love you and some of you need to hear this. The only thing worse than having no friends is having bad friends. Like, you know it's possible to surround yourself with a lot of stupid right? And and, and there are friends that you don't want with you when you're in a storm because they're going to feed your flesh. They're going to give you all of the bad advice and they're not going to be helpful. We saw this in the story of Job. Remember, Job finds himself in this awful storm. His friends come and they don't help him at all. They can't figure out what's going on. They don't point him to God's goodness. They're just like, man, your life is awful. This is terrible. And Job's like, thanks guys. That was helpful, right? It's possible to have bad voices in your life. You need the right voices. You need people in your life who are Jesus people who will weather the storms with you. Um, About a year ago, um, my wife and I went out to dinner with our best friends and uh, we hadn't been able to hang out with them in like a month or something. It had been a little bit. And uh, we went to Fuel, which is right down the road. And we were at a kind of corner table. And uh, my friend asked me, he's like, hey, Cal, how are you doing? And uh, I was like, dude, I'm not doing too good. And uh, honestly, I just kind of started feeling bad for myself. And I would say a year ago, I just felt like I was right in the middle of a storm, right? And, and I was telling my friend, I was like, man, um, leading a church is kind of terrible right now. Like going through COVID has been awful. And, and I don't know if you guys realize this. Do you know people got a little grumpy during COVID? Do you know that that was a thing? 
And I'm like, it was really, really difficult. And I'm tired of people being mad at me. I'm tired of getting called names. Like, like, like I'm just beat up. And I had for sure real relational storms in my life that were going on. And I'm just like, man, I, it's just hard. And my friend goes, hey, Cal, can I speak honestly with you? And I was like, yeah, totally. And he goes, I want you to think of the life of Paul. And he goes, Paul was a truth teller, and he was really, really bold. And he goes, Cal, I, I view you similarly to Paul in, in those areas. And he goes, think about Paul's life. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was hated by the Jews. He was hated by the Gentiles. He, he, he died in Rome. And listen, did God use him mightily? Yes. Was it worth it? Yes. Was God faithful? Yes. But his life was storm after storm after storm. And he's like, Cal, I love you, but you need to stop feeling sorry for yourself. You need to get your eyes on Jesus and you need to know like he's going to get you through this storm and then more storms are going to come and that's what your ministry is going to be. And I was like, man, you just said some really mean things to me in a really nice way. <laughs> but I tell you what, that was for me a Proverbs 27 moment, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like I needed to hear that. I was disoriented. I needed my eyes to be focused back on Jesus. I needed people in my life to help me weather the storm. You know, it's funny, I, I didn't even realize we were doing our small group push uh, this morning, but I know this to be true. Do we have any small group leaders in the room? Can you raise your hand if you're a small group leader? Yeah, we've got a, a few of them. Um, did you know, one of the things that we work hardest on at this church behind the scenes is we train and we coach and we shepherd and we care for and we love on our small group leaders because they're the ones that are leading these small groups. And why do we put so much time and investment into our small groups? Here's why, look at me. It's because we love you and we want to surround you with the right people when you go through a storm. Because here's the thing, you're either in a storm right now or you're just in between storms. They're coming for all of us and we want to be a community where we can have people that are the right people that are gonna point you to Christ when you're going through it and you're beat up and you're tired and you're disoriented. But listen, it's not just about getting a group of people to do that for you. You have to want to love people enough to be that person. And that's what small groups are about. It's not just what can I take in, but what can I give and how can I be the hands and feet of Christ and be the right people as God's family weathers storms together. So that's my small group plug. If you're not in one, you really should. You're gonna need it. Here's the second thing, um, second way we weather a storm. It's this, you need to keep your feelings in the correct lane. You need to keep your feelings in the correct lane. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So what God says is, is the heart is wicked and it's deceitful. And just so you know, when God says that, he's not talking about our actual physical organ, the thing that pumps blood in our chest. What the heart represented was like the deepest, innermost feelings and emotions. It was your interperson. And what God's saying is, listen, your heart, these feelings, they don't always tell you the truth. They lie to you. You can't rely solely on your gut or how you feel. One of the uh, phrases Mary uses with our kids, she says this to them all the time, your feelings are real, but that doesn't mean they're true. 
You can't minimize what you're feeling. I get that you feel that way, but is that actually reality? Is that true? And this idea of the heart lying to us and our feelings running rampant, this gets amplified when we're in storms. It's like, I feel like God is far away. I feel like no one loves me. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm not gonna get through this. I feel like I should just punt and give up, or I feel like I should just be selfish. And here's what I would tell you. Feelings are a gauge, but they're not, a, they're not the pilot. Feelings can be an indicator that something are off, but you can't be allowing your feelings to drive the plane. When you are in a storm, if your feelings start to drive your actions, you're setting yourself up for spectacular failure. Right, well, this is what I feel, so I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna make quick decisions, and I'm just going to live by the seat of my pants and just go with what I feel. Like, you're setting yourself up for a lot of pain. When you're in a storm, slower decisions, surround yourself with wise counsel, get into God's word, more prayer. Feelings are real and they're helpful and they're valuable, but you can't let them be the things that controls your life, especially in the storm. And then here's the third thing, it's this. When you're in a storm, you need to live with an eternal perspective. You need to live with an eternal perspective. In Matthew 28, this is a famous passage. Jesus is on the mountain. He's about to ascend into heaven. And these are the last things he says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And you know this, it's famous. He says this, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Look at the last thing he tells his disciples here. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I find that, that it's fascinating that the last thing Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves them is I'm always going to be with you even after this life is over. Till the end of the age, I'm never going to leave you. You see, here's what Jesus knows. He knows that people on the mountain who he loves, they're walking into a storm that most of the people on that mountain would die in persecution for believing in Jesus Christ and boldly proclaiming his lordship. So here's what he encourages them with. The storms are coming, but I am never leaving you. And even when this life is over, all you're doing is stepping into eternity with me to the end of the age till time is no more, I will always be with you. And by the way, this was an encouragement to Christians when they face difficulty. In Romans 8, 18, Paul, when he's imprisoned, he says this. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I love that. I mean, think about where Paul's at when he says this. He's in Rome, in prison, awaiting his death. And guess what he says? Compared to what's coming, this, this suffering that I'm going through, it's not even worth thinking about. It is so small and minute to the eternal glory and reward we have in Christ. It's not even worth considering. Listen, we can know for certainty that we will never go a moment in our eternity without the Lord being with us because Jesus was forsaken by the Lord. Well, I think about this. We know that in our storms that God is always with us because when Jesus faced the storm, he took it all by himself and he walked alone. He took our sin. He took our shame. God forsaked him on the cross. I think the hardest part of the whole thing for Jesus is when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Because in that moment, our penalty was being put on Jesus and he went into that storm alone so that you and I will never be alone no matter what we're facing from now into eternity. Amen? Amen. Do me a favor, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just wanna give a, a, a minute um, I would imagine, and I'm not going to do this, but I would imagine if I said, hey, raise your hand if you find yourself in the middle of a storm right now, about half of the room would raise their hand. And uh, we're going to close with a time in worship. But just in the quietness of this moment, I, I just want to allow our hearts to cry out to the Lord. And maybe just like the disciples did in the boat in the end of Matthew 14, Give Jesus glory for his goodness and his faithfulness and his continuing to show up in our storms over and over. He's so faithful and good. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We love you. Thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness to us in dark seasons. And God, I know that this is the reality for a lot of us in this room, God, but we know that you are good and you're faithful, so we're gonna hold on to what is true. God, I just pray that you would surround us with good, godly voices. I pray that we would be people who don't live by their feelings, but live by what is true. And God, would we keep an eternal perspective that we go from glory to glory and that the second this life is over, we are with you in paradise and that is real and that is something that can never be taken away. Help us believe that even more strongly right now. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.